Welcome to another episode of Old School Thoughts, and thank you for all that you do to make this podcast possible. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of introducing you to Miss Daphne Johnson. I, I really look forward to this conversation. I've had a brief conversation with her earlier, but without any further ado, I'm going to pass the microphone over to Miss Johnson, give her a chance to to greet you all and tell you a little bit about herself, and then we'll move right into the conversation. So, Daphne, I'm giving you the microphone. Good evening, everyone, and thanks so much to Mr. Goodman for inviting me to share a few old school thoughts with the audience today. My name is Daphne Johnson. I am a widow. I am a, I have four children. Uh, three are living in the city of Memphis with me. One is in Charlotte, and they're, um, they are very dear to me. And they are really uh, family because we came here to Memphis uh, because my husband took a job. We didn't have any family here. So we've created uh, a home and a lifestyle that uh, has blessed us thoroughly. So um, I uh, am here. I'm a retired nurse by uh, profession, uh, registered nurse. And uh, I'm enjoying retirement. I am really enjoying it. I'm so glad you are. So, Daphne, let me ask you, where, where are you from? Where are you, are you originally from? I am from New Orleans, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. They call it Big Easy, the Crescent City. <laughs> <laughs> they got a lot of names for it. Uh, so how did you see New Orleans? Oh, God. It is a mixture of all cultures, mm-hmm. uh, just a giving and loving city. Mm. Um, when I grew up, it was it was a, a whole family. We had integrated integrated neighborhoods, even though at that time in the fifties it was segregated. Right. But um, everybody kind of you know. In your neighborhood, they'd speak, wave, say hi. You know, they had gone fishing or hunting. They were willing to share white and black. So it was uh, that type of an atmosphere. So Um, it it was segregated. So how did you, at what part of this segregation was active? And then what part was kind of integrated? Because I'm kind of getting both sides of the story at this point, that you all knew how to coexist. Right, we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we had the schools were separate, mm-hmm. uh, and in fact, the school that I went to was called John P. Hoffman School. It was in the black community, um, and I think we didn't have a lot of resources available because I distinctively remember every school year the Coca Cola Company would send rulers and pencils and uh, notebooks mm-hmm. and. That was, I guess, their contribution. But uh, we had uh, all black teachers, male and female, mm-hmm. and it was really strict. I mean, you did not do any cutting up in school because you got <laughs> to grow up or you got to strap. Right. So, but uh, that was, that's just the way it, I think everybody kind of knew, uh, they kind of knew their place. Right. Um. You know, we would play outside to the dust underneath the street light. Mm-hmm. 
black and white, but you know, they go to their house, we go to our house. You weren't going to go and sit dinner with them and they weren't going to come to dinner, yeah. you know, so it's totally, uh, that was the type of segregation. And I distinctively remembering, um, I think at that time I was, I could get on the bus by myself and I, you paid five cents, get on the bus. And I would go to visit cousins that didn't live too far away. And um, so you could get on the bus, but you would have a marker and you would pick it up and you would take it to the back of the bus. Hmm. If you say if the front was empty, you couldn't sit in the front. Hmm. And I distinctly remember my brother myself and my mom were getting on the bus and a white lady was in front of us and my brother she jumped in front and my brother pushed on her oh, to my. move her up the way Whoa. and um, my mother had to jerk him up but um, that were just some of the things that I can remember during that time but um, as far as any real problems we didn't like I said everybody kind of knew their place where they, you know, they didn't try to to, to co-mingle or do anything like that. So, you when, know, when you reflect on your childhood now as an adult, do you ever wonder, you know, do you ever see yourself dealing with a situation that you just was not aware of, but you see it now and say, I didn't, I just didn't think about it then? Oh, yeah. I did. Uh, we had been overseas. We had been to Hawaii, and in Hawaii, race was not an issue. Right. It it never was. Mm -hmm. I mean, they just wanted to know were you Japanese, Chinese, or or Mexican, right. <laughs> whatever. You know, that it wasn't a, a that wasn't a big issue. But I had gone home, and I was out shopping with uh, my first cousin, and uh, we stopped to get some. I said, "Well, let's stop and get us this hot dog." at this little diner so we go in and the man looks and this is this is 61 i think 66 mm -hmm. and uh he says we don't serve niggers here oh man i mean i didn't use that word but that's what he said right that kind of just took me back mm -hmm. so i was you know you i just wasn't aware of it and i think my, my my cousin was probably trying to tell me because I think she was kind of pulling on my shirt, but she never did say anything. <laughs> so, but anyway, just, just, you know, backed on out. I said, okay, we'll have to try something different. Wow. Mm -hmm. So when you assess yourself today and with all of your accomplishments, where you travel, where you've been, your personality, what series of situations or who kind of shaped you when you look back at, at it and when you realize your genealogy what or who shaped you it was my great grandmother my maternal great grandmother she was uh, Luella Kinney and um, she had sharecropped or farmed and did pick cotton and everything for plantation owners Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know how, but somehow she worked hard, saved her money, and decided she was not going to work ever for a white man ever again. Mm. So she bought 40 acres in Scotlandville, Louisiana, which is where Southern University is close to. Mm 
and uh, she started. Uh, she built three houses on that land. Oh my lord! She did. I don't know how she did it, but she did it. She put three houses up there. Now I'm going back fifties at this time because this was before we went overseas right. and she had built these homes and uh, she had one for my aunt and uh, one for herself and then one for my uncle who was the only male that she had in the family and he was a preacher and former and he was the main uh, one trying to help her but now she could plow up a whole plot of land just her in the middle wow. she could do it She'd be out there barefooted and she worked to from morning to dusk. Hmm. She was a hard worker. And she was and I to this day I don't know how she, who taught her to read and read and write, but she did leave a will. It was in her handwriting. Wow. And you could tell that she did not have formal education, but she knew how to do that well so it was it was tied up you couldn't touch it right and um so uh but she was my inspiration because she really worked hard she worked hard all her life and i and i and she was smart enough to know how to manage or keep things going like i said she never worked again for anybody except you know right there on that uh on the form that they had and at that time, I think my uncle was living, and he had the um, he had cows, chicken. They did they did the hit a meal too, because he would do the do sugar cane, make the syrup, and then he would also meal uh, with the corn that they would grow. Because my like I said, my great grandmother, she 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 plowed up a whole acre, two acres. You know, she worked right along with my uh, uncle and her daughter, my aunt. And you said she had 39 <laughs> acres of land. Uh-huh, 40. 40, 40 acres. acres. Uh-huh. Do you all still have ownership of those acres? I think it is the way she tied it up. I don't think, I, I don't know because I'm not in contact with my cousins. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we moved and... Um, so I'm hoping the last time I was in that area was 2003 and they had the land then. No. So I don't, they still have it. So how did you see yourself? How did you see yourself as it applies to your your great-grandmother? Oh, I'm determined. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm determined to get things done. I, I set goals and I, and I, what I... Well, I used to do it. I, I haven't done it in a few years now, but I would do goals at the beginning of the year. Uh-huh. And I would send down what I wanted, and I would put them in an envelope and put it up. And then at the next year, I would go back and see that I accomplished all my goals. Now I kind of do things on a weekly basis of things I want to get done. Mm-hmm. And so I do a list every week, and I check everything off. If I don't get it done, you know, today I put it off on the next day. But I am in the process of trying to write a book, and it will be about I have lymphedema. So, and uh, it's it's one of those things that nobody hardly knows anything about how to treat. So that's what that's been uh, that's my goal to get done this year. So uh, I haven't written anything in it lately, but um, 
I am. That's that's a goal. But I'm I'm my husband used to call me stubborn. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, but I I believe in setting goals, and I'm always determined to get things done. Uh, I don't believe in wasting time uh, at all. So I, I if I do, it's because I don't feel good. And uh, I'm just tired, but I'm always trying to keep myself, I'm reading or doing something. I love to read, always have. And so I just finished one book and started an audible book um, because I do a book club too, uh, once a month. And then I do classes too, (laughs) once a month. Oh my Lord. So this month, we've been focusing a lot on the theme, history is personal. Oh, yeah. Do you, how do you describe that when it comes to you and your family? History is personal, especially when we're talking about African-American history. And some people are kind of blind to it, regardless of race. They're, They're kind of blind to their history. But how do you how do you describe history as personal? It's personal because it tells me who I am. Mom gives me a definition of the makeup, the spirit that's, and I think from my ancestors that that spirit of of uh, self esteem of confidence that you can do whatever you want to do just do it mm-hmm. I don't let race be a barrier to what my goals and what I want to get accomplished mm-hmm. so I don't let that be an obstacle I don't see it as being an obstacle right and I'm proud to be a black woman mm-hmm. and have and have come from uh, strong black women and men my grandfather was a um a deacon. He was a stern man. He was a good provider. He took care of nine kids. He worked uh, as a longshoreman. He worked on the dock. And um, it, I have a fantastic family. My uncles have finished college. Uh, I have an aunt that's a minister. She's retired now. Um, God has been too good. <laughs> Do you think we miss out? Do you think we miss out on on telling our family history? You oh know, yeah. We we tend to repeat history, you know, about the same people every year. But do you, you think that we we miss the point of really talking about what we know about our own families and introducing your family to the world as well? Yeah, we did because I did. We have a family group chat. Okay. Uh, so it's. 17 people but anyway uh, I mentioned something had happened but I mentioned my father had been um, attacked while on his way home from overseas he's just coming back from Korea so he left California and thought he was going to drive because he bought him a new car so when he got to Crawley Mississippi the police got behind him beat him up threw him in jail so on the phone calling my mother to call the FBI or whatever because he's military and um, so I was relaying that story and the 
the family members on said, well, I didn't hear that story before. And I thought, I thought, I thought maybe I had told that before, but evidently I had not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think we do need to pass stories on things that happen in your family. You know, now sometimes I can get carried away mm-hmm. because I'm crazy about family history, genealogy. Right. right. So I can go, but, uh, but my, the my thing is we we got I tell people nobody can tell the story better than I can tell my I tell my story better than anybody can right mm-hmm. in New Orleans is a culture a lot of people don't understand the backdrop uh, they see a lot on the TV you know but some things were embedded in our uh in the black community more so, and then was taken out by white people and other folks, mm-hmm. and uh, and they don't understand. Mm-hmm. They really don't. Do you think that you can tell too many stories? No, you never can. You never can. No, I don't think you can ever tell too many stories. Yeah. And I say that. Okay, my grandfather's sister, my aunt Eleanor, um, I don't know if she wasn't a, a religious woman, but when she died, she gave my grandfather specific instructions on what she wanted. So they had the, they didn't go to the church for the funeral. They had the wake at her house. And they, you know, they laid the body, and they put it in the living room, there's no catacomb on it, put the picture up of her, had the casket open and she told them she wanted them to have a good time she wanted the booze to flow hmm. <laughs> and the food and my grandfather did and my grandfather very religious man so right. he did exactly though what she wanted so um those stories you know you can't and and two my mother always said that my grandfather before he became a safe man he ran a speakeasy now, what is a speakeasy? A speakeasy is a little night after, uh, after night joint, mm-hmm. and it was in the community because uh-huh. you know at that time it's black folks because it's during prohibition time. Okay. Yeah. And so my mother says one day they were coming home from church, and she said she could smell the booze, so <laughs> they had broke in, busted the booze emptied everything of however they do those crates uh, barrels and stuff and she said it was just flowing down the thing so the police was there to arrest my grandfather so my grandfather told says well let me go home and get my church clothes off <laughs> yeah to be clean <laughs> oh yeah he loves he loves silk shirts and oh yeah <laughs> went home and got got uh changed his clothes but he never went down someone else went (laughs) (laughs) so those stories you just you know you you gotta tell them you do Uh uh-huh right and to prove i thought well maybe mama making it up (laughs) is we were on a church bus going to a picnic i think just so there was a cousin that came by hit my mom on the back and said hey cuz how you doing (laughs) I said, Mama, who is he? And she told me who it was. And she told me, I said, well, he's limping. She said, well, that's because he got in a fight. Mm. The speakeasy and fell down the steps. 
and he wouldn't go get his legs set uh -huh. while he was walking with the lamp. Wow. I said, oh my God. I said, that was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> horrible. But you know, but those are the stories I think you need to tell. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. how do you, how do the, the younger generation how do they re respond or react to all of this? Are they interested in these stories or you all are just writing them down, recording them some kind of way? Are they interested? I think they have now become interested uh, a little bit more because of they see a lot on the TV and then I talk enough too. So I think they're they're really interested, um, and I hope that they continue to be interested because I always say this is an ongoing process trying to find out who and how a lot of us are related. Right. And uh, so I think I think they are. I know my daughters are. In fact, I did a album for my uh, family history album for my oldest daughter because her husband is English and the his or her husband's brother-in-law had done the family history on that side and right. so we got together and we shared information so he sent me what all he had and so I put it all in the book and gave her the maternal side and the um paternal side of the family information as much as what I have found out so far mm -hmm. yeah but now my my uh, paternal side my uh, grandfather was Jamaican he was born in Kingston in 1890 he um, came here with his brothers they were seamen merchant seamen mm -hmm. he ended up in Louisiana my uncle Blaisdell, who I remember distinctively because of his accent. He had a thick mm. English accent in this, um, and he was, um, he would always, when I would go visit him, a straight shot, just get on the bus and go straight down, and he would always be waiting for me when I got off the nice. bus. Um, but uh, now there were four of them Joseph, Arthur, Blaisdell, and then my grandfather, Henry. And they had you know, three girls, these three girls. So I would like to learn a little bit more about your paternal side. Can we pause now and go into a, a session two, or can we schedule reschedule for a part two? Well, we could go on into part two. We can take the pause if you want to. It's all up to you. Okay. Well, I would love to learn about your paternal side, the group that came over from uh, Jamaica, and okay. and hear how they had this influence on your family's history as well. Okay. Okay. So we'll pause, and then we'll come back with the session two and get a chance to learn a little bit more. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> 